Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another live episode of Surviving the Survivor. The only way we really do these shows is live. It's the podcast that brings you the best guests in all of true crime. And uh, as you well know by now, the NYPD, one of the best law enforcement uh entities in all the world that one of our best guests used to be a part of has cracked this 13 year old uh case police saying that rex Hurman is the accused long island serial killer and today suffolk county uh prosecutor ray tierney announcing that rex Hurman has also been indicted in the murder of maureen brainerd barnes this is a second degree murder charge and we'll ask the panel uh why that is as he headed back to court today and as there was a flurry of uh press conferences uh before and after and uh couple quick notes before we get going here just waiting for one of the best guests to file on in and here he is uh you'll know that Face when you see it. That is Mike King. Let me introduce everyone. Joe Jackalone, who was fixing his hair top right screen before we went on air. <laughs> he is a retired NYPD sergeant uh, and an internationally recognized expert. Looks like we just lost Lisa for a minute. One comes in, the other bounces out. Uh, Joe, in short, has an extensive background in criminal investigations. He's trained investigators from all over the U.S. and found himself as part of a team training detectives on quote-unquote intimate partner violence in a Mon Jordan of all places. So the guy has been uh, literally everywhere. Joe, tell everyone what you have on tap for your channel tonight, where they can find your channel, and what you're doing. Yeah, good evening, Joe. Thanks for having me. Tonight I'll be having Lisa You're in the bottom corner right over there. We're going to be discussing the the uh, affidavit that came out today for uh, Rex Hurman, and you can find me with either my name right there or True Crime with the Sarge on YouTube. We just crossed 5,000 subscribers, so I'm kind of excited about that. So thanks, everybody, and thanks, Joel, for your support, too. As we say in Utah, where Mike is, <laughs> Mazel Tov. That's awesome. Uh, there we go. Lisa Ribicoff. <laughs> she is a licensed private investigator uh, and an advanced uh, trained polygraph examiner based out of New York, Florida, and Connecticut. She's the only woman who could be in three places at one time and does it well. <laughs> She's on the board of directors for the American uh, Polygraph Association as the seminar uh, program chair and also on the National Cold Case Task Force. She's listed as a court certified expert for private investigations and polygraph examinations for the city of New York. And of course, I uh, put in Mike King's bio and it just disappeared on me. So in the blink of an eye, uh, I am going to look for it and I'm going to find it right here <laughs> on my phone. And I'm going to tell you when I find it, uh, that Mike King, that he is the creator and host of Profiling Evil on YouTube. Uh, he also has the podcast Mapping Evil with Mike King in Southeast Asia. He appears regularly on Court TV, which he's doing right after this, so he has to hop off. Uh, he's on the Dr. Phil all show all the time in News Nation. Was a five-year, uh, had a five-year term on the board of directors of the Cold Case Foundation. Uh, he has basically uh, done it all when it comes to solving uh, cold cases. Um, you guys will see this. There's been some confusion over this, so let me try to clarify. 
STS, we are now going to also be covering trials. We are doing the Michelle Traconis trial out of Stanford, Connecticut. So people are saying, what is going on? What in the world is happening? Well, there's a second channel right here. I know nothing about YouTube other than hosting a show. Uh, of course, this one, best guests in true crime. The other one, as you see, best trials in true crime. And there is the link at the bottom of this little fancy uh, graphic. Of course, there wouldn't be a show. Uh, you can pre-order my book, The Most Important Story I've Ever Told, My Mother's Story. Um, I tell everyone it's not your mother's Holocaust story because it's my mother's Holocaust story. But there's a double entendre there because uh, there's a lot of craziness. It's not a typical Holocaust book. And huge announcement from STS right now, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Daniel Rashbaum coming on Surviving the Survivor, Charlie Adelson's attorney, Donna Adelson's current attorney, joining STS Thursday, 5 p.m. I'll be tweeting it out at podcast STS, and I'll be putting it on Surviving the Survivor or Instagram page at Surviving the Survivor. He's unable to talk about a lot of Charlie stuff because it's uh, under appeal right now. Donna can ask anything we want and uh, we're going to do more than an hour one-on-one -on -one, and sts nation is going to get a crack at daniel rashbaum we're going to take your questions uh towards uh the end so daniel rashbaum the lead defense attorney in the charlie adelson case coming on sts thursday at 5 p.m uh he is doing this for us coming on um and we appreciate him doing that, considering uh, he didn't do so well uh, with the outcome of that case. So uh, we appreciate this. I'll be on again Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Don Adelson, he said we can ask whatever we want because uh, that trial is about to kick off. And she has a hearing Monday um, in Tallahassee. So. Uh, let's just kind of go around the horn real quick and get uh, thoughts today. Of course, Rex Shurman. Some people said, look, I can't even watch this guy or watch the show because this guy is so creepy. Uh, Joe Jackalone, uh, your thoughts just overall on what we heard and found out today. Well, when they added the extra uh, electronic evidence or I'm calling it electronic DNA evidence, I mean, this is kind of like this is kind of like just shuts the door on this. I I'd hate to be his defense attorney uh, and trying to be able to answer all this stuff out because when they start coming out with numbers like one in 7.9 trillion and everything else on top of that boy and, and considering you can win the lottery out of one in, out of 300 million it just goes to show you this none of us have won the lottery so you know you can you can see how this is going to play out in the long run i, I mean listen i think the investigation has gone so far very smoothly and the evidence just keeps on piling up and it's just not one type of evidence we have several different kinds you know the dna and, and the technology and everything else surveillance video i'm sure they got something along the way and we're still waiting to hear about the search warrants so i mean there's there's so much happening here it, it's 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 looking good for the prosecution hmm. um so everyone knows who's who's in STS Nation, that we've been following this Adelson case, just to go back to this for a minute. And uh, again, Dan Rashbaum, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, lead defense counsel for Charlie Adelson, lost that case, Charlie facing life in state prison, and Don Adelson's case coming right up. There's a hearing on Monday. Someone suggested I have Carm ask the questions. Um, that's interesting. 
she'd probably honestly she'd probably do a better job than i will but um we'll see how maybe we can incorporate her in somehow aj mama wow rash himself that's amazing lisa ribikoff it was a crazy day i know you got calls your phone's ringing off the hook uh your thoughts on the latest with rex um, I do agree with Joe. I absolutely would hate to be Mike Brown right now because there's just more being thrown at him pertaining to the investigative process, acquiring additional evidence. Um, and it's really damning. I mean, self-forensics is really, really hard to um, to argue. And not only that, just the search engine uh, of what he was looking for on deleting the evidence. Um, probably the most disturbing thing to me out of all of this is the um, additional search topics that he was looking for pertaining to, um, I'll put it nice, his topics of interest of what he was seeking out um, during the time period of which it was occurring over COVID in 2021. So it just, to me, my interpretation was that he'd gotten a little bit more severe, um, possibly because of being quarantined and stuck at home during that time. But uh, I definitely do see a deviation and the aggressiveness pertaining to the searches as well as um, possible potential behavior that could have possibly, that could have taken place. Uh, Mike King, your macro thoughts, and then we'll kind of go bit by bit here and break it all down. Well, I thought, I thought today was pretty amazing, but most importantly, because the defense came right out and made a statement, Hey, what's the deal about nuclear DNA? And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Uh, at the beginning of this thing, but now suddenly it is good. So I think that's going to become a major issue in the case. We're going to see experts who really argue back and forth. But for me, uh, it boils down to a couple of things. One is we saw more evidence piled on today than we've known digitally when it comes to the cell phone activity. And when you compile that and compare it with the internet searches that were going on, and I'll tell you what, Joe, you, you hit a you hit a homer there because when you also talk about 7.9 trillion, I tried to do some simple math because I'm fairly simple out here. And uh, I put this down into a really easy way for us to understand. 7.9 trillion, uh, 1 trillion is equivalent to 32,000 years of single seconds. So this is a big bucket of difference that's saying that, con uh, that DNA is matching up to Herman's wife which puts that hair that's found on the belt buckle and several other victims into an entirely different atmosphere. That's uh, very interestingly put. Uh, by the way, uh, the victims here, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, Amber Lynn uh, Costello, and Amber Lynn Costello's sister happened to be in the courtroom today. So uh, let's keep the victims in mind. And then, of course, now we're adding a fourth one, Maureen Brainerd Barnes. And I was covering this Traconis trial, Michelle Traconis out of Stanford. And this uh, Stanford newspaper had a huge spread on this because she's from Norwich, Connecticut. Um, she was working, of course, as an escort, uh, advertising on websites such as Craigslist. She was last heard from July 9th, 2007. Uh, her remains found December 13th, 2010 on the north side of Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach. Uh, Joe, back to you on this. You know, they charged Rex and the other three murders back uh, in July, six months ago. Why six months more? Why did it take an additional six months for Maureen Brainerd Barnes? 
Well, they kind of explained it way back when, and they said that the, you know, you got to remember that Maureen Brainerd Barnes was the first one out of the Gilgo Four to be killed and put in that location. So it was there for a, a longer period of time, which gave, you know, opportunity for the elements and everything else to degrade that DNA sample. And one of the press conferences, I don't remember exactly which one, but uh, District Attorney Ray Tierney said that it was uh, it was degraded and that they had to go to a special lab and they had to make sure that, you know, they got the information that was that was going to take so long and then they have to convene a grand jury and in new york you got a grand jury that's made up of 16 to 23 people uh and they have to you know find enough jurors for them and the alternates and then be able to put this together and then you know provide them with all the information and basically have a you know a, a somewhat of a trial right not much i mean there's no defense there's no anybody on that side of the thing but it takes a while for this to happen and listen we want them to be methodical especially with some of these new technologies you know, New York State is a fry state. That's fry with an E, uh, and it's it, it prevents the experts. And Lisa will be able to tell you more about this, but it prevents the experts from fighting each other because it has to have a scientific approval of other scientists out there. But it's just uh, an important first step in order to do this. And I like the way they take their time. There's no rush here. Been waiting. People have been waiting. The family's been waiting for a long time. Uh, they'll have to be a little more patient. But I think this is going exactly how it's been planned. Um, you know, Marilyn Joe, says, I want to yeah, add Mike. something here. I, I think it's important to also note, too, that we don't know why uh, Tierney's task force made the arrest six months ago, because he's he's made it very clear his preference would have been to wait until all the DNA was back and be able to charge all four at once. So so whether something changed, whether they truly believe that the that human might commit another homicide, if in fact he is this serial killer, uh, or, or that that they didn't know if they would get that back. It takes a long time to get forensic evidence through the system. Excellent point right there. Lisa, uh, it was kind of a shocking announcement a few months back. Rodney Harrison, uh, the police commissioner for Suffolk County, stepped down. He was former NYPD. Joe's had him on his podcast. Another reason to subscribe to Joe Jacqueline's YouTube channel. Uh, he gets great guests, especially out of New York. Um, but what do we know about the acting Suffolk County Police Commissioner, this guy, Robert Waring? Do we know anything about him, Lisa? To be honest, I know nothing about him other than the fact that he was the chief of the department. Um, and then once Rodney um, stepped down, as well as the uh, assistant deputy commissioner as well, um, he was pretty much next in line. Um, he ha I have not seen anything pertaining to him making a statement, him going ahead and discussing um, case, the investigation, anything like that. So I think he's just right now um, towing the line, just looking to see what's going to be happening at Inc. Because again, he's only in an acting capacity. So I think that he's trying to also not put his foot in his mouth so he can retain the position full time. Hmm. Uh, Lena Garcia wants to know how Daniel Rashbaum, going back to that for a minute. And again, that's a big case uh, for our guests uh, who haven't followed it quite as closely for us. Uh, how is he able to answer questions the same way uh, Michael Brown, Rex Yerman's lawyer, is able to talk today? And I'm going to play some sound from him. Uh, he's representing Donna. Uh, he's going to try to paint a picture of her being not what we think she is. And uh, it's my job as a journalist to challenge him. It's going to be a little back and forth on Thursday, but it will be interesting. And again, uh, kudos to him for coming on because uh, – he could very easily say uh, no, thank you, and not do it, and never speak to the media. Uh, but he's going to talk to us, so uh, there you go. Um, I believe he's going to be on Dateline on Friday, 
So uh, we will get him a day ahead of Dateline. And we are working on a, um, a watch party for Dateline that the COE, that's going to be for members, by the way, members, YouTube members and Patreon members per the COE. So if you want to be part of this Dateline watch party, I think you'll have to be a YouTube member and a Patreon member. Tiff Knox says, Mike King cleans up real well. Look at that. Coming to us from uh, Southern <laughs> Utah. Uh, Mike King, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. I'm not sure which. You know, it's, but... it's an insult based on my previous looks, I think. <laughs> but no, Tiff, thanks so much. <laughs> and Mike, do me a favor. For those who do not know, uh, this was a, a superseding indictment. What does that mean as opposed to a regular indictment? Well, I, you know, I'm wondering if they have some concerns about information getting out and uh, they're having to move pretty quickly. They clearly were able to get a, a grand jury seated and get this moved through the system. And uh, frankly, what was the sense in waiting? I mean, there's so much anticipation on this one. I found it kind of interesting that uh, last night all the details were out anyway before anybody started talking about it today, which is kind of crazy. Um. Back to this. We're going to bounce back for a little bit. Uh, Daniel Rashbaum cannot talk a lot, at, if at all, about Charlie's case because of the pending appeal. He could talk, he said, in hypotheticals, but we'll lay out the groundworks when we get there. Catch Lisk is in the chat. Shout out to Catch Lisk. Uh, best guest here for sure on this topic, no doubt. Um, Joe Jackalone. Some people are saying, you know, he's being charged with this murder, but why second degree and not first degree murder like the other three? How come? Okay, well, first of all, in New York State, first degree murder carries the death penalty. And if I remember correctly, there's about 17 ways that you can get charged with murder first degree. And one of those ways is that you kill multiple people, which would be a serial killing. However, it has to be done within a specific time frame. And because of the cases, the way they are going, the estimated time of death of these four women can't really be determined in a specific fashion in saying, well, we know it happened on this such and such date and that kind of thing. So they said that could span over the time. The district attorney kind of explained this, that it expanded over the time that allows for the, uh, the statute of murder first degree. But then, you know what? Murder first degree carries the death penalty in New York, but it's been declared unconstitutional also in New York, which means that the only way that you can get the death penalty in New York is if the feds end up with the case and then override that and, and bring it to, um, to that statute. But other than that, that's basically the reason behind it all. I mean, it's... Um, it's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. The deal is they looks like they got enough evidence on him. They look like they're going to put him away for the rest of his life. This guy is never going to see outside of that cell again the way this this case is shaping up. So and and you know what? Might be more more that might be worse for him than than uh you know than the death penalty as far as I'm concerned, because I, I've been into prisons a lot and believe me, they're not a good place to be. So um it's it's neither here nor there. Sometimes people want that, but you know what? The family you know, uh, might have a say in the matter too, you know, later on down the road, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Lisa, I promise I'm coming back, but this is sort of a profiling evil question. Mike, now that Joe mentioned, you know, he'll probably the next time he sees the light of day is when he's transferred to a state prison, more than likely. How are serial killers treated in state prison? You know, uh, by the way, to Remy Nas, yes, uh, this is what we call advocacy journalism. I'm going to be very fair to Daniel Rashbaum, but I will ask him tough questions. Uh, but I did run this by Ruth Markell, and I'll tell you why. Because she is the victim uh, uh, in that particular case, 
and uh, she's become a friend of ours, a friend of the shows. And I did not want her to be blindsided, but being Ruth, she was ever gracious and uh, supported it. So, uh, but I did run it by Ruth, and that's precisely why I did not publicize or run any of the video of the bar mitzvah because that involves her grandchild. It's personal. It's family. And I did not want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. So to answer your question, yes, but Mike, uh, serial killers in, uh, in state prisons, how are they viewed? You know, I, I mean, I've eaten a lot of prison lasagna with serial predators over the years and, uh, <laughs> it really, really boils down to the kind of predator and the preferential victim that the predator has. If, if it's a serial child sexual abuser or a serial child murderer, they are viewed a little differently than one who um, is a, a, a taking adults and one who takes someone like, in this particular case, sex trade workers is on a different scale than somebody who takes something that would be more um, eye-to-eye combat in taking of, of men or human beings that are capable of defending themselves. So it really is a, it's a mixed bag, but you got to keep in mind, most often these kinds of predators are kept either in solitary confinement on death row or in some location where they have limited contact. They're not out generally in the general population where somebody might stick a shank in them or, or punch them in the nose. They are, they're in a little different group. And we're seeing now because of overstaffing in the prison or understaffing in the prison and over inmate populations that we're seeing some of them actually come out into the general population. So we might see a little different deal as time goes on. And then I'm going to just add this rather than ramble on is as they age and become less uh, um, mentally frightening, then their position in the prison could change a lot, too. Mm. And I think that's going on right now with BTK, otherwise known as uh, as Dennis Rader. My computer just went crazy right here. Uh, and, you know, he's getting old and he's getting decrepit. And uh, I obviously speak to Kerry Ross and his daughter every once in a while. And physically, he's not even, you know, he used to be somewhat imposing uh, no longer. And I think that, uh, you know, his status within the prison is probably shifting as a result of that. Catch list, of course, uh, Maureen, Melissa, Megan, Amber. These are the victims of uh, the Gilgo Four. Shelly says, go with Joe. Notice there's no L at the end of that. Just go with Joe. Sarge is number one. There you have it. Um, Thanks, Joe. Lisa, Lisa, back to you. So Rex today was dressed. Uh, people are always looking at these defendants uh, dressed in a dark gray suit. His hands are cuffed behind his back. Uh, when this new charge was announced, it, it was, it's reported that Rex looked away from him. Um, Michael Brown, and we'll play some sound, said again, he said, uh, I'm not guilty of these charges. He's looking forward to fighting these charges. What kind of toll do you think this is having on Rex Hewerman right now and the way he's looking? Um, last time I saw him, he looked decent. You know, you think he's phased by this? Um. I think that he's going to put on the persona of I can handle this. I'm tough. I'm strong. But um, I mean, I don't have children, but the three of you too, you you can understand being away from your kids and your family for an extended period of time. And also looking at the fact that you're never going to see your kids again, unless it's in a courtroom or possibly behind glass. Um, He has access to newspapers. He has access to a TV. So 
He sees how his story is being played out in the media. Um, and I'm sure now he's going to have to go ahead and kind of go through um, the emotions of the, the daughter's DNA sample was taken off a monster energy drink, like a Java can from a garbage can. And like father, like daughter, we have his DNA from a pizza crust from a garbage retrieval. Now his daughter, her DNA was ascertained the same exact way through a trash retrieval. So I think now he's going to see that his kids are playing more of an active role. Um, it will take a toll on him emotionally and mentally. Um, and physically, it's if he wants to work out, I mean, he can work out, he can do whatever he wants to in jail. But um, I hope that at some point, the kids do continue to do get the help that they need, um, as well as Asa from the psychological thing, because now again, they're brought up in the mail documents. Um, this is going to be out there more, especially the daughter's name. Um, so my biggest thing is not only making sure that we're advocating for the victims, but because the children are collateral damage to kind of keep them in the forefront as well. Speaking of uh, Rex's daughter, so Asa showed up to court today. Uh, once again, we've seen her there, the estranged wife, of course. But Joe, for the first time, Victoria Hewerman showed up. She is the daughter, uh, the one that worked with him in his architect office. What do you make of that, that she's showing up suddenly to court? Did you read anything into that? Well, not at first until we started to hear about the abandonment sample that was taken from her and how they basically the, the, the police department was surveilling her and waiting for her to discard something so they can pick it up. So I'm sure she's feeling a little bit um, you know, uneasy about that, and I guess she wants to show her father some support. I mean, listen, it's still her father. There's still going to be a lot of different uh, emotions that are going, you know, going on within her and the family and everybody else. And uh, you know, that's basically the only thing I can think of that uh, reason why she was there just to kind of show support. Uh, and listen, and we know, and the the 800-pound uh, the elephant and whatever in the room is the peacock people too. So, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects uh, going on in regards to that too. So we'll see what happens. Um, Lisa, right back to you here. Remy Noss, I'll pull this comment up and go to the other one. Remy Noss says, the wife is definitely guilty of turning a blind eye. I won't say the uh, bad name he called her, but... Um, <laughs> What are your thoughts on this? You know, initially there was such an outpouring of sentiment, even a GoFundMe set up uh, by, I believe it was the happy faced killer's daughter. Um, yeah, Melissa Moore. Yeah, trying to raise money for her. But now there's a lot of people uh, because of this DNA, this hair um, that are questioning what's really going on. Are you doing the same thing? Are you wondering, huh, maybe did she have at least knowledge of this? I've been on a roller coaster with regards to um, Asa. Given the fact that the story breaks, you want to go ahead and you want to feel bad. We find out that not only does she have underlying medical conditions, there's financial hardship. She's stating the fact that she's been a prisoner financially and emotionally. Um, and then we go ahead, fast forward, and we have affidavits that John May has um, acquired regarding sex parties and her being in the house. Um, then you also now find out about Peacock deal. Uh, the GoFundMe is actually suspended. We don't know why. Nothing's been ever stated as to um, why it's no longer happening. Uh, and then we see her out and about smiling and running her errands and doing everything else. And um, she's still traveling. She's going places. I mean, she's trying to live her life. I get it. But at the same time, there has to be some sort of, uh, I guess, a happy medium as to what exactly is going on. Um, in regards to her involvement, what I would love to do is give her a polygraph, to be honest. And I want to know exactly what her involvement is. I want to know if she was ever in the house during those parties. Did she ever have knowledge? 
Um, did anyone even tell her that something was going on? Maybe a neighbor in a supermarket or a next door neighbor or someone, did she have any information at all? Because um, that would also render whether or not um, this could have been um, taken care of sooner pertaining to uh, attacking the investigation. Joe Jackalone, every time uh, you see the words New York, it's got to go to you from Annie Kay. Uh, since New York does not have the death penalty, can Rex offer more victims locations if he's convicted to try to get any deals? Uh, I'm not sure what kind of deal could be worked out, but uh, what say you? Well, the only thing that they can get, you know, they'll look for leverage and the only leverage would be if they were the death penalty was on the table. And since it's not, the only chance you have of that leverage is if the feds step in and he wants to continue to live. And then the feds can say, OK, listen, we're going to put you in for the death penalty unless you start talking about some other cases or some other information that we don't know about. And if I mean this, we saw that with, uh, you know, Ted Bundy, which was in Florida, which was a different situation because Florida you know, they have their own things going on with the death penalty down there than New York does. New York is more of a, a liberal state and they, you know, they don't want to do this kind of thing because of the, of the consequences that could happen. If God forbid they put the wrong person to death. So the issue that you're dealing with here is that unless you see the feds, I don't see that leverage happening because he has no reason to confess to anything at that point because he's going, he's looking at life in prison without parole anyway. So it's no matter what he does, he's not going to get anything out of, out of, telling stories out of out of jail, so to speak. Lisa, uh, pertaining to this documentary you just kind of referenced, do we know, is this this Peacock paid, I think, Asa close, or Asa close to a, a million dollars? That's the report out there. Do we know if it's actually still being produced, what the plans are? Do we have any idea? Um, I know that the camera crew and they're still following her around and interviews are being done with her, but um, I don't, and I've said this since day one, I don't believe the amount is a million dollars directly to her. I believe that maybe the total amount for the project and or an amount close to that is possibly being divided up amongst her, her attorney, maybe her kids are going ahead and receiving independent um, fees for their appearances, maybe appearances for other people. So maybe a million dollars was the budget to go ahead and cover um, stipends for appearances, but I personally don't think that she would have received a million for this project. And that's just on the basis of my background in entertainment. Uh, from one Lisa to another, uh, I heart a double dose of Joe and Lisa made today even better, according to Lisa. <laughs> and then uh, shout out to Tim Jansen on the trials, on the best trials channel. If you haven't heard, we started a separate channel just covering uh, this one, of course, is best guests in true crime. The other will be or is best trials. And uh, Tim Jansen, a great legal mind, jumped in today. Uh, we will be doing periodic, like a baseball game, live commentary and analysis as the trial is going on. And that's what uh, Tim was doing there. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to uh, best trials in true crime. This is the graphic and I'll get rid of this little comment right there. Um, Mike, I just wanted to get back to you on the uh, Asa Elrup, Asa Asa, however you want to pronounce it. What are your thoughts on this? You're obviously an expert at profiling evil. Have you, I don't know, done a, a, a two-step, a sidestep, uh, spun your head around regarding her complete innocence in this? Do you have, do you think that maybe she at least had some knowledge of what was going on or you just have no, no way to tell? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know that we have any way to tell. And I, I guess 
what I try to do is kind of keep a some level of balance in my thinking when it comes to situations like this. And, and I think back to interviews I've done with family members of serial predators. In many cases, they didn't know. In some cases, they suspected. In many cases, they themselves were victimized over a lifetime and beaten down and found whatever that goofy space is where they fit. And sometimes we want to say, I would never put up with that malarkey. So they shouldn't either. So they must have known. But frankly, we don't know. And we haven't been through that experience. We weren't raised the way that they were raised. So we don't know if they're a compliant individual or a uh, a really independent individual who's going to stand up against stuff like that. How could you not know there's some goofy things going on if there are parts of your house that you're not allowed to go to? But does that mean that she knew that he was a serial killer? I, I don't know, Joel. Yeah, it's tough to say. Um, I got to I got to be honest. I have my apprehension, my suspicions. I think over time we will start to know uh, more and more. Uh, Joe Jacqueline, was John Ray there? Someone is asking. I did not see that. But do you know if John Ray was there, the victim's attorneys? Uh, he was not standing behind uh, the district attorney. That's for sure. Uh, there was another attorney there, Gloria Allred. But yes. um, not that I have, yeah, that that I have known uh, f- from John Ray. I haven't spoken to him in a few weeks, but you know, like everything else, I'm sure John's got his fingers on the pulse. He's having a um, his own conference coming up soon at St. John's University in Queens. So I think he'll be, you know, providing some more information and maybe even more affidavits. I don't know, uh, but you know what. John has kept this case alive in the media, and he's done a great job doing that. And, you know, there are a lot of people that don't like John, but you know what? You have to give give credit where credit's due. He really was the vi- victim's advocate of Shannon Gilbert when nobody else was even touching it. So that's what you, that's what you have to admire about John Ray. I like any guy that wears a, a striped fedora hat with like a polka-dotted tie and they clash. I will take with a ponytail who's over the age of 65. Uh that guy I'll watch any day. Uh, Ruthless in the UK, STS working around the clock. Uh, we're working pretty hard, actually, um, although I never think I'm working enough. Uh, I ran over to check out my son. My son had his very first ever basketball practice today, and he is still not dunking, so I'm disappointed. I'll have to yell at him. It was actually it was, it was fun to watch. Um Kid. Joe Jack alone. So peep this this part's always confusing. So prosecutors linked Rex through uh link Lex, I should say, to Maureen Brainerd Barnes through DNA. You guys were talking about this earlier. A hair found on a belt buckle used to bind the feet, ankles, and legs of Brainerd Barnes contained a hair that DNA analysis shows, and this is a quote, is 7.9 trillion more times likely. To have come from a person genetically identical to Asa Ellerip's SNP genotype bio than from an unrelated individual. What is that telling us? What what is that saying in English? Well, they can never say, listen, beyond a reasonable doubt, this is the only person that can do that, right? They can't say that in court. So they have to come up with the the exact numbers. And I had said before, like one in 300 million, you win the lottery. So we're looking at one in nearly 8 trillion that it's somebody else. So that kind of like leads you to exactly what they're going to say. But you're never going to have a forensic expert say definitively there's nobody else that could be it, you know, but it's one in you know nearly 8 trillion, it's somebody else. 
So it's um, it's pretty damning evidence. And I know if you recall when the we had the previous pressers and uh, his attorney has spoken out, he he kind of you know poo pooed some of the DNA evidence that didn't come out today when they started throwing out those numbers. I mean, it, it's absolutely off the charts when you look at those things. And like I'm just echoing what Mike said before. I mean, my God, those numbers are huge. Yeah, uh, they're actually really hard to like even comprehend. Besides just looking at them and kind of giving them a giggle because it's so insane. Um, Lisa Ribikoff, I'm giving you kind of the tough, weird, hypothetical questions today for some reason. But Gloria Allred, she always wears red. She's a very famous um, women's rights attorney. We haven't seen her at all. She's on the West Coast normally. What do you think brought Gloria Allred to Long Island today to be there all of a sudden? Any thoughts? Well, um, the first thing that I noticed when seeing Gloria is that she obviously positioned herself in an ideal situation of standing directly behind the DA in that green jacket and those red boots. That's not typically what her attire is. I guess she's addressing for the, um, whatchamacallit, for the East Coast. However, um, she did come in from LA. Her background, for those of you that don't know, is that she does handle um, cases involving women as victims. She's an advocate and attorney. She's previously had clients that were um, victims of Jeffrey Epstein, victims of Harvey Weinstein. Both She does handle celebrity work. Um, she's always been in the field. However, she's become greater since uh, the Me Too moment. So I do believe that she is here to go ahead and um, represent either an individual family or maybe the families as a whole. Um, she hasn't necessarily come out and said who specifically she is representing, but the fact that she's here now um, and she wasn't here previously leads me to believe um, that there's probably more of a cohesive unit that she's going to be representing. And uh, STS Nation, feel free to jump in with the triple Qs and caps, and uh, we'll get questions in uh, and make sure that we're getting them to our best guests because they know a hell of a lot more than me. And uh, Mike King has about 15 more minutes. So let me um, let me start to play some of this sound. We'll get Mike's reaction uh, after we play this, and then we'll go around the horn. This is... Um, Suffolk County DA Ray Tierney at the podium today. Let me just get rid of this comment so it's full screen. Here we go. And I'm indictment marks a change in the investigation. Indictment is- marks a change in the investigation. The grand jury investigation of the so-called Gilgo Four is over. It has been concluded, uh, and we will proceed with those cases uh, in court. And again, we look forward to proving the allegations. Uh, but uh, there should be no mistake: the work of the grand jury is continuing. Uh, now we, uh, we we've talked about the transition from from the grand jury to the prosecution. Well, with regard to those other bodies and those other murders, the grand jury, the task force will continue uh, to investigate those cases. They'll be investigated through the grand jury, uh, and when it is appropriate, uh, and if we have uh, anything to say, we will we will say it at that time. But we're going to let that investigation play out. So Mike King, uh, he says flat out the investigation is over, but the grand jury will continue their work. Uh, it seemed that seems to me a little paradoxical, but paradoxical. But why would he announce the investigation is over? Do they have absolutely everything that they need? No, I don't. I don't think at all they have everything they maybe want. Uh, they might have what they need to get a conviction out of this. They certainly must feel confident that they have what's needed to get a conviction or they wouldn't have gone forward. But, but we got to keep in mind that those six other victims, we have this 
kind of mental thing that happens in our mind where we want answers to the unknown and we're really uncomfortable without that answer. Sometimes it's maybe because we live in the area and we want to feel safe that this predator has been brought to bay. But um, we, we got to keep in mind those other six victims have different kinds of characteristics surrounding the way they were recovered. Some might have come into to, uh, that Long Island area via coastal tidal waters moving them in and out. We know that, that uh, some of them could have come from different kinds of predators. Some may even be natural cause events where things didn't work out, and that's pretty unpopular for some people to listen to. But um, I think what they started out with was the Gilgo Four. When he says we're wrapping it up, he's talking about wrapping up the Gilgo Four, but he's clearly making it uh, making it very clear to us that uh, Tierney's team is going to continue to look at those other cases. And it takes me back to something I've said over and again, I think, Joel, and that is <clears throat> we want to tie everything to a serial killer and relieve ourselves of the stress that maybe there's something else going on out there. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, Gilgo Beach, Long Island, that little area is maybe more of a serial location than all victims of one serial killer. In other words, a dumping ground. A, a great place. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, I, incredibly populated areas and areas where there is a an ability to hide might be a place. It might be just that it's influenced by tidal waters and there's perfect explanations for a murder that occurred out on a sailboat somewhere or something else. And so we, we, we just can't jump to these conclusions that it's one person responsible. And, and it might be that this is one predator who evolved and changed the way he did things. But generally, I don't know what um, my other panelists here feel in this regard, but generally we don't see predators changing too much. They evolve and get better until they start to decompose, but they generally don't do business differently. And, and Mike, this is uh, a profiling evil question. If you had to uh, make an educated guess, are there more victims in other states related to Rex right now? Oh, man. I, I mean, <laughs> you, you got to look at these cool down periods and the fact that um, th these murders started back in 2010 and that period of time. A whole bunch of time has passed. Did the desire to commit homicides pass? Uh, often the, the easy answer is no, it doesn't normally go away. And when we see serial predators who stop their behavior, there's usually a good explanation for it. Like they went to jail for a while or they just get too old and they can't do it. And as they find that they have a harder and harder time being successful, the most important thing to a serial killer is success. And if they fail in some of their attempts, that might be a reason to slow down and change things, or it might be a reason to change and go from strangling someone to shooting someone. So you, you just can't put them all in the same bucket. You got to look at each one and the set of behaviors that are coming out as that entire uh, um, lifetime goes on. And you might see some changes that come up because of some really easy to explain answers after a while. Uh, Lisa, just curious what you thought about Ray Tierney's comment there that the grand jury uh, will continue with its work, but the investigation is over. Your thoughts? 
I don't believe, and again, my opinion, I don't think the investigation needs to be over pertaining to these four women. Um, even though we have all this damning evidence pertaining to DNA and cell phones, you can never have enough. Because Mike Brown could pull a magic rabbit out of a hat from somewhere, maybe John Ray's fedora, we don't know. But at the end of the day, um, you can never have enough evidence. And I think at this point, what we need to also focus on is getting those grand juries now, because you're going to need a grand jury for each one of those additional um, victims that we're going to try and associate Rex with, or not, not we, I'm not getting involved with that part, but um, you guys know what I mean. However, um, it's right now, again, this is be, the trial is happening, but it's happening in the media and it's happening amongst social media as well. Um, I see that you posted a question here of when is the trial supposed to start? Yeah. I don't think this trial is going to start for maybe two years because you have to realize you have to get all of the evidence together. You have to get witnesses. You have to, again, work on discovery. But forget all of that. You have to then worry about change of venue. This cannot get tried on Long Island. This cannot get tried on New York. You have to worry about finding a jury that's going to be um, impartial, not biased. No one's going to make an excuse of why I can't serve. So it's going to be a long, drawn-out process. I'm going to go with the fact maybe a year and a half to two years. Well, and so you think that they're going to have to move, uh, have a change of venue? You don't think the trial will happen on Long Island or anywhere in New York State? Oh, I don't think so at all. I mean, you can't you can't hold this trial at the Suffolk County Courthouse that has uh, Senator D'Amato's name on it right now. Um, it definitely can't even be done in Nassau County because he's a Nassau County resident. There's just there's it's, it's too heavy. It's too um, emotional. And again, the whole idea is at, at the end of the day, yes, he does deserve a fair trial. It is something that he is entitled to as part of his rights. Holding that trial, um, if I was his criminal defense attorney, I would be going ahead and filing for a change of venue and not doing it on Long Island. Um, maybe somewhere in upstate New York, I would even go as far as um, closer into maybe Sullivan County or Orange County. I wouldn't go to Westchester because Westchester borders um, the Bronx and as well as Manhattan, in addition to um, just right outside of Connecticut, where some of the victims were from. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, I don't want to shatter any hearts here, but I got to say a big mazel tov. Congrats to Lisa oh, Ribikoff. She just tied you. the She's a uh, newly engaged, newly engaged. So going to be tying the knot. Yeah, thank you. Soon to be. Yeah, I always get, you know, those phrases confused and then I get yelled <laughs> at. But you know what I mean? She's about to get married. So yeah. back off, men. Back off. Um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a great point here, uh, Joe Jackalone from Drush Marouche. I love the name. Uh, we're talking as though the guy's already convicted and found guilty. And it's interesting since speaking a little bit uh, with Daniel Rashbaum, he said there is a presumption of guilt in this country, which is something that a defense attorney would say. So in light of that, by the way, shout out to McSpunky for gifting a membership. But in light of this notion of a presumption of guilt and uh, we're already convicting him, let's listen to Rex Hewerman's defense attorney. His name is Michael Brown. Uh, here he is. And then we'll uh, pick it up afterwards. On the This floor. has been a 13 plus. This has been a 13 plus year investigation. And we have been told and you folks have covered this that there is no nuclear DNA available. And in fact, it's unsuitable for, for DNA testing on the nuclear level. We have been told it's mitochondrial uh, testing and, and there have been results. Those results are not very convincing. Today for the first time is we hear about nuclear DNA. We're gonna look into that. We are certainly gonna look into the lab reports 
the lab testing and the transfer of evidence. Joe, I feel like we're seeing this in the Brian Koberger case. They always seem to go, the defense attorneys, right after the DNA, which seems counterintuitive because that is the science. Why is that, Joe? And what's he what's he really saying here? Uh, he said everything but you sunk my battleship, so to speak. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's just uh, – I mean – Listen, the evidence is piling up against him in, in regards to the, the comment made there. I don't think anybody is saying that this guy is guilty in any, you know, we're all innocent to prove guilty. However, the court of public opinion is far worse than any criminal court you're ever going to go to. And um, there's plenty of people that have already made up their mind in the decision based on exactly what they what they heard today. I mean, to, to be able to think about this and, and just a quick note, this case is entirely different on the evidence level than the Kohlberger case. You know, not, not even close. We're talking like, you know, hundreds of miles away from each other. This case, Long Island serial killer case, is building up to be quite the evidence show when this thing actually hits trial. And there's going to be some of these new technologies, these new uh, forensic techniques and the, the SNP profiles. And it's going to be quite interesting to see exactly how this all plays out in the courtroom because it can then lay out the framework for other cold cases that are happening not only just in New York, but in other states as well. Uh, Rosemary Romero, why is Asa, 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 Asa allowed to make money off the murders of these victims? Capitalism, that is one word. We live in a capitalistic yeah. society, and she is not convicted of any crimes, whether it is ethical or not. Uh, that's a different question. Some people say she should at least be sharing the money with uh, the victims' families. But uh, look, Peacock um, came to them came to them and they said yes look at this mike has to go mike a quick final thought before you hop on court tv oh, I'm, I'm honored to be on with all of you i just i love watching you individually and and uh, thanks so much i think uh this one's going to boil down to experts but the evidence is really looking powerful and i look forward to coming back again uh, hopefully sooner than later, Mike King, uh, a king of a personality, and uh, he's off the court TV. Check out Profiling Evil. Mike, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Take care, Mike. Well, did I just, oh, Lisa, did, I just bounced you, you off. I was going to say, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. So yeah, put in the timeout corner. <laughs> uh, the authorities came out today, investigators, and uh, contrary to what we were talking about earlier, they say Asa Ellerip is not a suspect. And she was, in fact, out of state when Maureen Brainerd Barnes disappeared. This is sort of an interesting fact here, an important one. She and her children were in Atlantic City from about July 6th to, to July 20th, 2007. Uh, for those of you who have ever been to Atlantic City, if I had to be, no offense to anyone in Atlantic City, but if I had to be there for 14 days, um, I would be institutionalized. It's, it's not Vegas. It's a, it's fun for three and a half hours, but 14 days, I would not survive. Anyway, that was around the time that Maureen Bra uh, Brainerd Barnes was last heard from, which was July 9th, 2007. So they say that there was a window of time to pull off uh, this crime, this hideous crime of murdering her while the family was away. Lisa Ribicoff, that sounds like a pretty good alibi. They were in Atlantic City, and apparently there's credit card statements to back this up uh does that in your opinion basically put the family in the clear then 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I'm just looking up here because I've never heard of the flagship hotel. So I was just pulling up on a map to see like, where, what, which property it would have been. Um, Joe, are you familiar with this one? No, not really. Um, I've only been to Atlantic City. Yeah, a couple of times um, and not by choice. Okay, yeah, I don't know what property <laughs> it would have been if it's actually on the boardwalk or whatever it was. But um, I mean, the credit card statement is pretty damning. I've got it open in front of me here on my end. Um, with the arrival, I mean, the, right now what we see here is that this is, I'm looking to see what the page number is. This is just a screenshot of um, part of the section, but they have a check-in date of 717 for the flagship hotel. Um, and there's other credit card transactions at the same time. So um, starting previously on the 14th, there is Wildwood, New Jersey. So clearly they went further south of Atlantic City and then worked their way back up to Atlantic City. Um, and there is also other hotels on this credit card statement, like the Tropicana. So it appears that they were just hanging out throughout the week, going back and forth. But the interesting thing here is that taking a look at the statement, the last transaction for anything in Atlantic City or pertaining to travel is 723. Next thing you know, 726 is the next transaction, and it's a circuit city in Massapequa, New York. So there was no credit card activity in between. But um, this is, I mean, actually, hold on one second. So actually, the posting date is 712. So there's a posting date and a transaction date. But there's no significant spending other than Boardwalk Hall, which is like a concert venue. Um, it's just, it, it, this is all damning. It's, it, it doesn't look good on paper. Um, I don't, and from what I understand, this also came from the storage unit. I want to know what else is in the storage unit. What, this is just one piece of paper. Nothing else has been defined. And, uh, as Joe mentioned earlier, the search warrants, what is, what has come of them? So if they found this and they tied them to Atlantic City, what I want to know else we don't know yet. Uh, by the way, Rex Huerman did, so they were in Atlantic City. Uh, let me pull up the dates one more time. July 6th to the 20th, but Rex then meets them a week later on July 13th. Ima just imagine for a second if this guy did, in fact, murder Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and then you're like, okay, let me go off to my family vacation down in Atlantic City and just hang out. But uh, Bob Massadino, who was Ace's attorney, uh, he came out today and said uh, the new details, again, meaning this credit card receipt showing that she was in Atlantic City, he says it makes it clear that Asa Ellerup and the children were, quote unquote, not involved or even in the jurisdiction when the killing took place. He wants to make it clear that his client is completely in the clear. I'm going to play another piece of sound. Rock Schaefer scissors, not to be confused with paper. I don't fully understand this. Forcing STS on Delta flight because AirPods died. I really hope that you force the pilots to play this or the, at least the flight attendant over the uh, cabin speakers. And I hope everyone on this Delta flight uh, has buckled their seatbelts for safety. Uh, once we hit a cruising altitude of 10,000 feet, you can unbuckle your belts, but enjoy the show. We've got Joe Jackalone and Lisa Ribikoff here. Uh, what I would give to see the uh, flight attendant making everyone in that cabin who are all held captive being forced to listen to STS right now. So uh, rock, paper, scissors, clarify that for me, what's going on there. I'm curious to know. Um, all right. So there was more evidence uh, that they divulged today. Let's go here back to Ray uh, Tierney. 
the district district attorney explaining this here. Um, we also recovered two burner phones from uh, the defendant at the time of his arrest. Uh, the phone ending in 1697 was recovered from his office and the phone 2671 was recovered from his person. With regard to the phone ending in 1697, uh, again, we see the same uh, repetitive uh, activity on that phone. It was used to contact numerous sex workers. We also were able to use it to uh, identify an alias, Andrew Roberts, which was a known uh, alias being used by uh, the defendant. We were also able to recover a fraudulent email account, which is uh, sandbagger303 at gmail.com. Uh, the sandbagger email address was used uh, similar to the T-Hawk uh, fraudulent account. Uh, the uh, T-Hawk was used after sandbagger, but the sandbagger account was used once again to search for uh, torture porn and info on the Gilgo case, on the Gilgo investigation and uh, victims' families. Uh, the, uh, the defendant was particularly uh, interested in the cellular telephone uh, technology being not only used by the FBI, but, but specifically by the FBI in this case. Uh, we also re recovered numerous electronic devices from the defendant, including a number of laptops, smartphones, tablets. Um, from that, we learned that the defendant undertook numerous searches for so software that could e assist in erasing or wiping data from computer and digital devices such as Easy Hide IP and Shredder X. He used those two uh, applications to destroy uh, evidence in this case. Joe Jackalone, that is a long list here. Uh, you're the uh, retired detective, NYPD sergeant, burner phones, an alias that he went by, which was Andrew Roberts, an email, sandbagger at Gmail. Uh, what really stands out to you the most hearing all this uh, new evidence that uh, was revealed today? Well, the one thing when uh, he when when the district attorney said about the contacting other sex workers, that's when the red flag flare went up when I when I heard that. Right. So they now have information that could tie him to other cases or other people and at least in the respect of being able to interview them, being able to talk to them and see if they are, um, you know, healthy and alive still, too. So it's a it's a big, important step. I mean, talk about being have to go through all of those records and identifying every one of these people and hopefully that they want to even talk to the police. But I think in this respect, I think you're going to get a lot of cooperation because, quite frankly, you know, he's not a threat to anybody else anymore. And in respect of, you know, for the investigative purposes, this is, like I said, the digital evidence in this case is going to be overwhelming. And I think it's um, it's fantastic news that they're finding even more phones. I can just imagine, though, I've been there when you have these dumps of these phone records. Believe me, they are labor intensive. You have to go through each line with a fine tooth comb and then being able to try to figure out whose phone this is, getting those subpoenas, getting those, I mean, the volume of just information just on even one phone, let alone seven or eight phones that he's got. And before we came on today, I did some searching, and I think I found a an email with the user Sandberger 303, and that was actually reported back in July. So, you know, I'm going to do a little more research on that one, Joel, and I'll have to get back to you in, in regards to um, yeah. that specific email address. That one actually rings a bell as well, hearing that, but I, I hadn't heard the alias uh, Andrew Roberts. Uh, he went by Andy Lisa Ribikoff. Are you... 
as creeped out as other women are. I mean, you live out on Long Island and I've had women tweet and write to me just saying literally that this guy is uh, what, you know, nightmares are all about. Are you as creeped out by this guy as others? Um, I think given my background as an investigator for almost 20 years and the, the stories and the situations that I hear and I deal with as a polygraph examiner dealing with uh, molesters, abusers, domestic issues, anything else, as I feel some type of way, but I think that my career has also desensitized me to a degree. Um, whereas if I was just a quote unquote normal woman living on Long Island with no background, oh, I would be scared a hundred percent. I mean, one of my very good friends lives three blocks away from the residence. I had been to her house prior to his arrest. Had I, I mean, it's just close proximity. You never know who your next door neighbor is going to be. Um, but I think what freaks me out even more is taking a look at these documents and seeing the uh, newly, like the, in this one, at least specifically, the newly discovered searches. I'm not going to read it because it's just, it's atrocious. But um, going back to what I said before, there's definitely a gravitation of the search word that he's using, um, showing more aggression and showing more of, um, I, don't, I don't even, I, I just, I, I feel some type of way. So I'm trying to mind my words right now. But um, it, it kind of shows that he also has maybe possibly a different type of victim as well. Alligator Ashley here. Based on the bail document released today, wife and kids were out of town when all this happened. Surely the neighbors still saw something if this all went down at the house. I mean, Joe Jackalone, you're a retired detective. How many times do you go back to neighbors and say, all right, we've got this date. Do you remember anything on this date? I mean, I personally, I can't remember what I had for lunch today. So I don't know how I'm going to remember something unless it really stood out. But how many times do they go back to question these different people, Joe? The, the neighbors are extremely important in the canvassing. You try to talk to everybody you can on any of these cases. And listen, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, I didn't live too far from Massapequa Park. It is a very small, tight-knit community where kind of everyone knows everyone's business. And if you look that the videos if anybody's never been to long island you can see the houses are on top of one another I, I still find it hard to believe that much if anything happened in the house without anybody seeing something or being able to do something and if, if you notice when they had this search warrant going on for whatever it was 11 days out there and all the news people were out there nobody was running up to the cameras many saying i saw something way back when i saw this i saw that nobody said anything so i i've kind of um believed that these incidents happens somewhere else, whether in his vehicle or what have you. I mean, he was probably very alert to surveillance uh, videos and all those other things. So, you know, people think maybe hotels and people had said, well, the boats, whatever. I think the boat is definitely not part of the equation. And yeah. the issue that comes down to is it has to come down to, you know, where these events took place. And since we're hearing about all this transfer evidence, possibly with Acer and the kids, I, you know, I'm thinking that some of these things happen with inside his truck, which makes the actual finding of that truck down in South Carolina amazing, right? So we haven't even spoken about that in regards to the forensic technology that they can use to even identify anything in there, whether it's blood stains or other body fluids. So, I mean, there is more coming. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to some of these things. Uh, Brick K, look at this. One year. It feels like yesterday. One year STS anniversary in three days. Better than a birthday. Thank you for being here. Thanks to all the YouTube members. Uh, I think I said it off the top. YouTube members and Patreon 
people. We are going to have a uh, Dateline watch party. Uh, it is another installment of the Dan Markell Adelson murder case this Friday night. Uh, we will watch it together. How? I have no idea, but uh, Space Coast on the West Coast and the COE are figuring all that out. Shout out to Lori, um, a member for four months, and Missy Mayhem. I agree with this. The sandbagger email was super creepy. Uh, Joe, just back to you on this here. So investigators, uh, you were you were kind of bringing this up claim that they've also been able to further link Rex Uriman to Amber Lynn Costello to her disappearance because of an analysis of Rex's laptop computer. They claim it shows that Rex accessed Amber Lynn Costello's advertisement. Keep in mind, she was uh, in the sex trade. So he was able to get to her advertisement on Backpage, which is, uh, I guess it's a local New York, you know, paper for those things back on September 1st, 2010, at about 9.03 p.m. So, Joe, is this what you were saying? So because of this, now they might be able to go back and find other people that he tracked down through advertisements and try to find out, um, you know, if they're still around, if they are with us, if they saw anything, heard anything. Are they going to be very meticulous here going through line by line, as you said, I think, to make sure that they follow up with all these potential witnesses? Right. Well, like we always hear in criminal investigations, you follow the money. Well, in cases now going forward with the technology, you follow the electronic breadcrumbs. And I think that's exactly what they are, they, are, they have done and they're doing in these cases. Yeah, Backpage was an Internet page that was used by um, sex workers. They did shut it down. I think they shut it down a little too quick as far as I'm concerned because the investigation had just kind of gotten into it. And I think the outrage from the public about this thing actually being out there kind of forced them to, sh to shut it down. But from the investigative standpoint, I would like to have seen them kept it up for a while longer because, you know, maybe you're betting on somebody who is responsible for being arrogant and thinking that he's untouchable because he's using all these burner phones and everything else. And, uh, you know, maybe you could have used it as a fishing hole, so to speak. But, you know, it is what it is. But listen, those electronic trails are there. And apparently they're a, they're a lot longer there than we were anticipated to know right because generally they told us phone records 18 months and all the other things that are going on but you know what maybe there is no more limitations about how long things are kept and what they're kept for and it could be just about timing too where law enforcement got the information immediately i know you know we kind of beat up the suffolk county police department because they missed certain things but you know what there was a lot of work done on these cases that actually put them in that position yeah they missed a couple of other clues and things in the case file, but that's uh, that happens sometimes. And a fresh set of eyes is something that is required uh, amongst many cold cases. Uh, digital forensics going to be the undoing of a lot of serial killers these days, as well as other criminals. Uh, I need one uh, 30 second therapy session here with Wesley John Holmes. Good morning, STS. You guys are amazing. I went to sleep. He's in Tokyo, by the way, by way of Australia, and you're still on the air. Must be some type of record. Wesley John Holmes, I, I think it's because I grew up and worked in news for 27 years that I never feel like I'm working or doing enough. So I might go home and actually beat myself for not working hard enough today. But hearing that you went to sleep and woke up and we're still on air makes me feel just a touch better. So thank you for that. Um, Lisa Ribikoff. So this guy had a flip phone. I guess keep in mind it was back in 2010. And he was texting these sex workers 
uh, between 2020 and 2023. So this is much later on, these details, but he was still using this flip phone and Alcatel phone. And what he would write is, hi, I saw your ad and wanted to see if we could get something up later, Andy. Uh, reading that out loud, that's interesting. Get something up later um, that could have some sexual. Well, I, I see the text here. It says, "See if we could set something up later." Does it say? Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> it says, "Get where I where I'm." Oh, that's yeah. Very I've got the bail document here. We could set something up later. So this is just him going out, pulling the phone number off mm. the thing. Goes, "Hey, P.S. Like, are you around later?" Um, and then it looks like the conversation continues. Um. With the other with the other individual going, I don't uh, I'm not sure what word we were trying to put in there for the day. Does tomorrow work? So um, that was that four thirty nine to five oh nine. So there is an ongoing conversation um, mm -hmm. pertaining to them, at least going to set something up. Uh, there is a, um, a footer stating the fact that the DA's office is aware of the full digit phone number for this individual that he's communicating with. But um, obviously, to maintain privacy of the current possessor of the said phone. So, this phone number is still active. Uh, most likely, it was recycled, meaning the fact if it was assigned to this individual previously, they are no, no, no longer are using it, but they don't want to publish the phone number because someone else is using it. Um, so, that's why it's not produced here um, in the bail document. But it looks uh, like here, sorry, um, she. Uh, yeah, she responded with her hours of availability, um, just almost like for me, it's almost like calling for a nail appointment and be like, hey, what time can I come in for a manicure and pedicure? Um, this is kind of what she's setting up also. And he stated that he'll see what day he can actually make it work, but then wanted to go ahead and transition that appointment setting from uh, text messages to emails. It's interesting because I'm telling you, I copy and pasted this part of it because this was a direct mm -hmm. quote. And unless my autocorrect got me, it says, I saw your ad and wanted to see if we could get something up, not set something up. But then I have a continuation here where he says, Andy here, that's his alias, Andy here, email me at sandbagger303 at Gmail. We can talk bed info. But one thing's for sure, Joe Jackalone, he wasn't shy about reaching out to these people. Uh, obviously never mentioned the wife or anything, but uh, he was actively reaching out to these women. And this is, again, much later on between 2020 and 2023. So, Joe, what does that do for the investigation in terms of, you know, looking at it much later on the in the timeline, you know, almost up to present day? They've got to go back and look at that, right? Well, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that they did For specifically. I mean, when this when they put this task force together and they brought in the state police, the FBI and all these other agencies, they had the, the, the personnel to be able to put this stuff together. And I'm sure they were concerned about uh, other potential victims that could have been already or or in the future. So I think that's the kind of thing that kind of kept some people up at night trying to figure out if they were they had lost opportunities and somebody else got hurt because of that. And I think that's a big concern for law enforcement moving forward. So far, we haven't heard anything about that. But I think that um, law enforcement is definitely looking into that possibility. And 
Joe, let me put you right on the spot here. Let Betty do that. Do you think that the disgraced former Suffolk County Police Chief uh, Burke had anything to do with the case, either by participation or hindering and shielding friends? He is a shady character, no doubt. Yeah, you know, James Burke has a lot of things. Um, I don't think he is a, a killer. And I think that a lot of the evidence has already proven that, uh, you know, they have wrecks in regards to the four latest cases. So, I mean, unless some of these uh, cell phone records and internet records, you know, wind up connecting him to Burke, whatever this not, I think we just need to put that to rest already, too, in that respect. I mean, listen, he's the gift that keeps on giving, right? He got he got locked up for trying to pick up uh, a sex worker in the park and everything else that goes on. But I, I think you just need to just uh, we need to move on from him. Uh, the COE is in the house right now. Let me play this. This is the last piece of sound, and then we'll slowly start to wrap up. And remember, Joe's going to have Lisa on on his YouTube channel, True Crime with the Sarge, 7 p.m. You can find it, True Crime with the Sarge, or under his name, Joseph Jackalone. But this is um, Michael Brown, Rex Hewerman's attorney, I think, discussing these crazy searches he was doing on his computer. A, a show about something, he starts... A, a show about something, you start searching. And they talk about how somebody's killed, you start searching. And then they talk about another way, and you start searching. Think about if they looked at your own personal search history, how, how all of a sudden you're guilty because of your search history. Think about what you search, what your friends search, what your kids search, what your neighbors search. That in and of itself makes you guilty. Uh, classic, classic defense attorney, Lisa, how come you're shaking your head and laughing a little bit? I, I'm part of me is laughing because he's going ahead and using the example of you're watching something, you search it, you're watching something, you're searching. If you look at the list that's sitting in front of me on this computer right now of what exactly he's searching, you then have to be wondering what exactly it is that he's watching. And that's all I'm going to leave it to because you don't really come up yeah. with these suggested search topics at a left field um, on the basis of, of what's here. Again, if you were to take a look side by side of the, the previously discovered search topics versus this, um, God, I, I, I wish I could really get into this pertaining to language, but I don't want to get you booted. Um, there is yeah. definitely a change in pattern of the... Um, search content areas to which the all i'm going to say is the age of the victim matters when it comes when you're taking a look at both topics of um the discuss the uh discovered searches that's that's the clearest way that i can leave it hmm. uh, that's a good way to sort of leave it yeah. right the way you did i guess uh alligator ashley says she's going to try to stay awake for joe's show midnight here in the uk Joe, you got to do some afternoon lives and hit, hit up uh, the people around the world. There you go. Uh, Joel, put an air tag on my dog. Oh, look at this from Ned Smith. Oh, wait. Put what's going on here? The CEO is taking it off. Joel, put an air tag on my dog like you suggested. He ate the air tag. Now what? Ned Smith, I'm so glad you brought this up. Let me share a quick story and then we'll get final thoughts. We'll still should so, be able to track them. Um, yeah. The COE asking if it has come out the other side. It's um, a lot of TMI there, COE. But let me share a uh, Waldman family story. And this is what they call Tuesday in my house. 
Uh, I confirm with Daniel Rashbaum that we're going to have him on Thursday. I'm excited. I'm a little overwhelmed. Got to come up with questions. Got to do things. Got a lot going on. My kid's got his first basketball practice. I'm, I took the kids to school. I do the morning show. We had the press conference that never actually happened. We do the Michelle Traconis trial. And then I race home to grab lunch. And the COE says, uh, you might want to call poison control, which you never want to hear when you walk into a house. I look over at Ethel. Ethel had chewed a children's Mucinex bottle because my real child is home with a fever. And now I'm looking at Ethel the boxer, waiting her for her to keel over and die in front of my eyes. So I have to call the veterinarian poison control about children's Mucinex. Keep in mind, a week ago, we heard a story, a horrible, I love dogs. I heard a horrible story. Apparently, xylitol, I think it is, is in a lot, it's, it's an active ingredient in a lot of things, and it causes dogs to die very quickly. So, and that was my first thought, uh, the COE making fun of me, but I can multitask and look at you making fun of me while I'm telling the story. So I must be pretty good at multitasking. Long story short, call up the vet, poison control. Nothing in the mucinex is that dangerous. They say to look at Ethel to make sure that she's not wobbly, not vomiting, no diarrhea. She's just staring at me with her tongue hanging out. Here's the update. Ethel is alive and well, and uh, she just cost me 100 bucks. So that's what you have to pay anytime you call. <laughs> the, I didn't even know there was. I had no idea there was a poison yeah, control for dogs. No idea. Yeah. yeah. I had to do it for uh, my dog once. He got into something, and we didn't know what exactly was going to happen. And they actually break it down. They take the human product and they measure it for dog dosages. And there's a whole big formula behind it. But I laugh. They're like, oh, it's 100 bucks." But apparently, if you have pet insurance, it's covered by pet insurance. I do have pet insurance. So maybe I'll look at that. But um, xylitol, this is true, is in lots of gum and mints. I'm going to spare you the time. So one of my first loves in life, uh, prior to knowing the COE, of course, is Mabel Rose. She, she passed away at 17. She once got into a pound of fudge. Don't ask me why I had a pound of fudge, but I did. Peanut butter fudge in Sedona, Arizona when I was working in Tucson. And um, she was totally fine, but they made me stick a turkey baster down her mouth with hydrogen peroxide to make her vomit it up. And um, how we got into this conversation, I'm not exactly sure, but I was sharing a Tuesday in the Waldman household. I'm sure I'll go home to a, God forbid, a sprained ankle or something else. But the air tag. Le oh, the air tag. Yeah, that's that was it. Um, Lisa Ribikoff. She is a licensed private investigator. She's an advanced trained polygraph examiner. She's also on the board of directors for the American Polygraph Association. She's also listed as a court certified expert for private investigations. And she lives out on Long Island and knows this case as well as anyone. Your final thoughts today, Lisa Ribikoff. Um, I think once I'm done with Joe's podcast later with him, I'm going to be having a very stiff drink. Um, and what I'm also going to be doing is I really want to go line by line by this document because there is, um, this preceding document, obviously the exhibit was the original affidavit, but I really want to just make sure that I'm fully understanding of everything that is out here now. Um, but the grand jury did what they were supposed to do. The prosecutor knows what he has to do. The prosecutor cannot forget that there still are other victims and those cases do need to be investigated. Um, when Rodney came to office, he said he's going to solve the Gilgo four. Well, 
He came into office, he did his job, he left, and now the case is technically not solved. We have evidence, we have it pointing towards an individual. He, it's still innocent until proven guilty. At this point, the courts, everything needs to go through, uh, determination of uh, guilty or innocent, and then from there, um, life not necessarily will go on, but the focus now can also be put onto uh, the other potential victims. So there has to be some sort of uh, remembrance for the other victims. There needs to still be advocacy for them, but there also does need to be time and patience for the entire investigation. Very articulately said. There you go. This is why I love STS Nation. Is ethyl mucus free? Uh, her her nasal passages seem perfect. Um, yeah, she looks great. Her head's all clear finally for the first time. Ned Smith was asking me, "Well, what do I do?" I'll give you another trick. Buy another air tag, and then you've got to go to Amazon, and there's a place where you can get an air tag cover for a dog collar because the same thing. Ethel wasn't eating her air tag, but it was popping out because Ethel loves. Oh, look at this. Just seeing the name makes me almost weep. Almost makes me weep. I love this dog more than life itself. Literally love this dog. I'm a sick human being. I love this dog so much, Joe Jackalone that I almost thought about taxiderming her so I could have her uh, presence in my house. And my mother told me I was the sickest person she knew. And if I ever did that, she would never speak to me again. So she's in a little box, her ashes. So look at this, Gen X Granny. We have a second channel, STS Best Trials. Subscribe now. That is the channel. Joe Jackalone, he's a retired NYPD sergeant. The guy has literally done it all. He was a commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad. He supervised stuff. He's spoken around the world. He was, once you say that a guy has trained in Amon Jordan, you don't really have to say anything else. He's done it all. Joe, your final thoughts today. How, how much did this case advance, in your opinion, uh, with what we found out today? Yeah, I think we're only hitting the tip of the ice. We're not even up to the tip of the iceberg yet about exactly how much evidence is still coming out and specifically the digital evidence. I like to see it. What I like to see happen in Suffolk County is that they pick a police commissioner, whoever he or she may be. I hope they have a, an extensive investigative background in order to push this case over the goal line, because like Lisa said, it isn't there yet. And investigations don't end until the trial starts. So there is still a lot more work to be done, not only on these four cases, but as the and the others as well, because you can't you can't forget about those other victims. And I and I want to see something done when, in regards to those cases as well. And hopefully they'll be transparent about what they're move, doing moving forward. Uh, we can't leave without this is a good question, actually. I did not watch this and I don't know much about what happened. But Lisa, there was a show just the other day where they polygraphed. Casey Anthony's parents, correct? And they want to know, uh, Jennifer does, if the parents lied. So the decision was rendered by the examiner that um, administered the examination that there were no significant reactions to any of the relevant questions on any of the exams, so he deemed them truthful. Um, that is his professional opinion. I cannot go ahead and render an opinion as I have not seen charts. Um, so I can't necessarily say anything other than that, but that examiner um, states that there was no significant reactions. Uh, these are the best of the best guests when it comes to LISC. A very quick reminder, uh, once again, this is our new, uh, the mods here are incredible. I hate, I, I can list them and I know them all, but I don't want to because if I miss one, 
they'll be pissed and it'll be my fault. But this is our new channel, Best Trials in True Crime. Our first trial is Michelle Traconis, part of the whole Jennifer Farber Dulos murder. She is um on trial as we speak, and we'll be covering it each and every day. Tim Jansen helping us with some of the uh, analysis. And then this mentioned it off the top, and I'm gonna mention it off the bottom. Dan Rashbaum. The lead attorney, defense attorney for Charlie Adelson and you see the woman there, Donna Adelson, on the record, not Greta Van Susteren's on the record, but are on the record this Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be an interview for the ages tomorrow night, uh, all day tomorrow on Best Trials. We're doing again, Michelle Traconis, and tomorrow at 5, right after the trial, we are doing the latest on the Alec Murdoch trial with another best guest panel. Make sure you watch Joe Jackalone's show in 34 minutes with Lisa Ribikoff, uh True Crime with the Sarge. Do I have the total the title right or Joe Jackalone? Yes, you do. Joe, I yes, do. Yes, you do. That's what I thought. For some reason, yep. when I said it True out loud. True Crime with the Sarge, yep. There you go. True Crime with the Sarge. Check it out, 7 o'clock tonight. Until then, love you, America. Love you, Long Island. Love you, everywhere. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs>